All right, guys, welcome back to Isaiah. Uh, here we are studying the major prophets. Now, when we say major prophets, we're talking about, Kevin, we have a chart up here that we kind of are using as our, our lifeline, I think it's true to say, for the next couple books. So we're going to have Isaiah. We're going to have Jeremiah. Uh, Kevin, what else are we teaching through? We're going to teach through Lamentation. Lamentations. We're going to teach through Ezekiel. And we're going to teach through Daniel. Now, we always try to cover anywhere from one, two, and three chapters, which is a lot in 29 minutes. Uh, but praise the Lord, we can actually start off with the chapter and actually start teaching through this in Isaiah 7. Now, we're going to get to this when it comes to, uh, I believe, in Isaiah 9. Yeah, yeah, in Isaiah 9, we'll get to this. Uh, but there are what's called the Christmas prophecies. Okay, we'll get into the, the text from Micah. We'll get into the text from Isaiah 7 today, Isaiah 9, and we're going to put it all together but this is one of the famous verses. I mean, really, of the prophetic verses. Now, here's what you have to, have to understand. In the first six chapters, okay, this is a major oversimplification. I mean, major oversimplification. But you have the first six chapters. It, it's kind of like there's a spiritual focus. Isaiah was given a vision, right? At the death of Kevin, which king? Uzziah. At the death of Uzziah, death comes. He gets a vision. And on chapter six, he talks about how Man, the seraphim came and brought a glowing coal from the, maybe from the altar incense of heaven, put it on his, on his lips. He now has clean lips so he could deliver the word. And it's kind of like the first five chapters was like, Israelites, I need you guys to truly get your act together. <laughs> Judgment's coming and so is blessing. Which would you like to experience? <laughs> and so it's kind of the setting the stage. But really, and remember, this is an oversimplification. In 7 through 39, I, I do like uh, what Tom Constable says, is it becomes more of a political focus. In Isaiah's day, this is what Israel and Judah, okay? Israel's going to be up here in this color, the northern kingdom. You have the ten tribes. Then you have the southern kingdom, okay, which is Judah, Benjamin, and Jerusalem is just on the edge. But then what's going to happen is in 7 through 39, Kevin, if you want to go to the next one, you're going to see the political map change. I mean, drastically. Here you still have Judah. But then, Kevin, what happened to Israel? Uh, they got swallowed up. Israel and Syria get swallowed up. Samaria, the capital, gets swallowed up by... Look, look at all the dynamics. And we'll begin to get into Assyria and what does this look like. And then all of this... I mean, if you're not careful, they're going to keep swallowing up everything. Uh, and it all changes the political map. So this, the tone has been set... Guys, I want you to think about what's coming, <laughs> right? This is what it's going to look like, but how on earth are we going to get there even though we've gone through this horrible process? So that is kind of your backdrop that you're going to see. Now, here's the interesting part of 7 through 39. I know we're really hanging out here for a little bit, okay? 7 through 39, you're going to be faced with all of these chapters, okay? And I like what Constable says is that will the king and the people trust in Yahweh or will they trust in the nations. So now all of a sudden the political focus still becomes the Lord, right? Are you going to trust the Lord or 
trust the nations. If you trust in the nations, as it says in chapter 34, which we're not going to get to there, don't worry. If you trust in the other nations, you can guarantee destruction. But if you trust in the Lord, (laughs) you'll see this in chapter 35, you'll actually see abundance. I think it's an interesting picture. When you put your stock in him, what will you see? Man, I so want to go there today. And all I want to just say is this, like when there's tangible fruit, I think sometimes it's pretty obvious we don't want to recognize it. So here you have an incredible story, King Ahaz, which is what we're going to face today in Isaiah 7. King Ahaz has to actually determine uh, what his decision will be. Will I trust God or am I going to trust my little nearby neighbors? Because whatever he decides will bring about the mission and message. And this is what I love what Constable says. His, de- his decision will bring about the mission, mission or message for Israel. And I will just tell you this. King Ahaz needs to make the right decision. And Isaiah's job is to warn him. So enter in prophet. <laughs> and he's going to bring in about a warning. And in fact, Kevin, there's actually going to be five different opportunities that they can see the Lord working. So in Isaiah 7 verse 1. Uh, And just so you know, this is the chapter that we actually get uh, our one word from. Okay, our one word is going to be Emmanuel, God with us. So hang in there and we'll get to that in verse 14. Isaiah 7 verse 1 says, This took place during the reign of Ahaz, okay, son of Jotham, son of Uzziah. So now we are three kings. If you want to go back to our lineage here, Kevin, we are three kings in. Uzziah is dead. Jotham is gone. And now enter in uh, Ahaz. It says, Rezin, king of Aram, along with Pekah, son of Ramallah, king of Israel. Now, can you go back to my map for me, Kevin? You're doing good, by the way. Here you have Rezin, king of Aram, along with Pekah. Uh, can you go to the other one, actually? The next, the bigger one. Here you have Rezin, king of Aram. Okay, so Rezin is going to be overseeing all of this. Then you have Pekah, son of Ramallah, which he will be the king of Israel, which Kevin would really be down here uh, in the Syria area. Waged war. So Rezin and Pekah waged war against Jerusalem. But he could not succeed. Who couldn't succeed, Kevin? Ahaz. Ahaz. And it says in verse 2, here comes the promise. A promise is coming into Ahaz. When it became known to the house of David, okay, like to me, when you hear that phrase, house of David, you should automatically go to the Davidic covenant. You should automatically go to 2 Samuel. Can you go there? 2 Samuel 7, verse 16. Like this is important to understand. Your house and your kingdom will endure before me forever and your throne will be established forever. In other words, my hand is on you. My hand is on this thing. <laughs> that was a generalization. But when it became known to the house of David, the people that had been promised the promise that Aram had occupied. So Aram had come in and now he's taken over this whole northern kingdom area. The heart of Ahaz, now Kevin, Ahaz is the king of the southern kingdom. So when Ahaz hears, go back to the other map. Uh, You're doing great, Kevin. We're going to get this. Ahaz, I think we've never done so much flip-flopping in the world. Ahaz is over here. He hears that this whole region, Aram is creeping in because of 
Uh, resin and Pekka. Sounds like a bad fruit, by the way. They're coming in. He hears this. Ahaz hears this. The heart of Ahaz and the hearts of his people trembled like trees of a forest shaking in the wind. He totally peed his pants. <laughs> I mean, it doesn't say that. But like, here's what happens. Is that when a leader acts afraid, so do the people. Like whatever is in the heart of this king really communicates to everybody else. And they're freaking out. Kevin, why are they freaking out that Rezin and Pekka are coming? Because they have more. They're not paying attention to what Isaiah is saying. They're not paying attention. So ultimately they're thinking they're going to just keep on coming. Right. So after he cleans himself. <laughs> Sorry. You guys, look, man, there's a lot of fighting going on. So the guy's super nervous and it says they're trembling like the trees of a forest shaking in the wind. In other words, they're just constantly fears gripping hold of them. But remember the house of David comment. The promise is there. Like God's going to speak through his people. Do you believe the word? And remember over and over again, they're like, they reject the word. They reject the word. Why can't they remember that the word has been given to them? The promise endures forever. So when they hear about this in verse three, here you go. Then the Lord said to Isaiah, I want you to go out with your son, Sheer Jashub, to meet Ahaz at the end of the conduit. I love this image. We talked about names, meaning everything. Kevin, did you find out what your name means? Uh, somebody looked it up, but I don't remember. Joey, do you remember what Kevin means now? I think it means kind, gentle, and handsome. Well, wonderful. So Isaiah's taking his son, Sheer Jashub. All right, this is going to sound like I'm... I'm just overwhelming this point. Sheer Jashub, okay? Kind of a cool, it means, his name means, a remnant shall return. Okay, he's got two sons. Isaiah has two sons, okay? I want to just speak to this son. He doesn't, praise the Lord, he doesn't bring uh, Maher Shalet Hashabas, which means hasty to spoil, hurrying to pray. We'll get into that one later. That actually has a purpose. He's bringing his son that says a remnant's going to return. Right? Go to the house of David mentality. The Davidic promise is there. He's bringing his son. Names mean everything. He brings his son. And oh, by the way, where does he find Ahaz? At the end of the conduit of the upper pool by the road to the fuller's field. There's a really good chance that Ahaz, the king, was hanging out by a city's water system. Okay. In case of a siege. Kevin, if you want to go to Second Chronicles 32, 30. So Isaiah, his son, Sheer Jashub quite a long name, meets Ahaz by the water. Okay? Maybe the same mentality of this water, of this, he- this same Hezekiah blocked the outlet of the water of the upper Gihon and channeled it smoothly downward and westward to the city of David. Hezekiah succeeded in everything he did. There was a waterway, right? Hezekiah built a tunnel. Like, waterways was everything in their time of fighting. Okay, so something in there, like he's kind of at his last, in my opinion, having Ahaz there, he's super nervous checking out the water, making sure that they still have supplies. Isaiah comes with his son, and here's what he says to him in verse four. Chill out. Calm down and be quiet. Don't be afraid or faint hearted because of these two smoldering stubs of firebrands. I love this image. The fierce anger of resin of an Aram, the son and the son of Ramallah, Pekka, right? Like these two guys are labeled as firebrands. Do not be afraid. They're threatening kings. Two years later, just so you know, they're, they're going to die. 
Like, don't even worry about these guys. Why? Because my promise is through you guys, the house of David. My son is here to show you the remnant will return, even though the captivity is coming. Relax. Isaiah 26, verse 3. This is the image uh, that he wants to say. You will keep the mind that is dependent on you in perfect peace, for it is trusting in you. He's already starting to give him this forewarning, like, trust God, please. Can he just relax a little bit? You wonder what a son is just thinking, like, <laughs> or if he actually says something, I don't know. But as he's talking to Ahaz, and then it says in verse five, uh, in verse five, for Aram, along with Ephraim and the son of Ramallah has plotted harm against you. They say this, let's go up. If I'm, if I'm Ahaz, I'm like, I already know this. Thank you. That's why I'm hiding right now. Let's go up against Judah, terrorize it, and conquer it for ourselves. Then we can install Tabel's son as king in it. And I love, you know what the name Tabel means? Good for nothing. The remnant shall return and good for nothing. Which side should we win? You know, I I love this image that we have here. So this is the word. Isaiah is reminding, (coughs) excuse me. Isaiah is just simply reminding him. Look, in verse 7. This is what the Lord God says. It will not happen. It will not occur. Yes. Here's a word from the Lord. Relax. God's got this. And the head of Aram is Damascus. The head of Damascus is resin. Within 65 years, Ephraim will be shattered to be a people. Okay. Um, I do want to say this. Uh, here you have, Kevin, I want to make sure we get this. The first promisey. Promisey? I just combined promise and prophecy. That was awesome, by the way. This is a promise New words today. New words today by Isaiah. Okay, so I just want to make sure you understand. So prophecy number one, Kevin, would just simply be trust God, <laughs> right? Relax. Uh, can I keep going? God's got this. And I think somewhere in this, you guys, is it, it's the unspoken is the remnant will be here. It is the unspoken. The prophecy is going to take place. Now, I will tell you this. When it says that within 65 years, Ephraim will be shattered too, Ephraim represents the 10 tribes. Okay? This is prophesied because of Ephraim's idolatry. Okay? In Hosea 4.17, I'm going to mix and mingle a little minor and major prophets here. Hosea 4.17, okay, there is a picture here. Uh, Hosea 4.17, Ephraim is attached to idols, leave him alone. So here you have, this is a major problem that they have. Idolatry is an issue. Now, John MacArthur spells out this whole 65-year thing. Okay, if you're a prophetic junkie, you'd be like, hey, what does that mean? You know, within 65 years, Ephraim, that's my inner nerd prophetic voice. Hey, what does that mean? (laughs) That's creepy. It was creepy. I didn't even know I had that in me. Okay, guys. All right, so John MacArthur spells this out. In 722 BC, again, dates are like, right? We'll just roll with this, these dates. Uh, in 722 BC, the captivity of most of them is going to take place, okay? 722 BC. In 670 BC, you're going to have the foreign settlers begin to set into the land, okay? So you're going to see this progression that's coming in, and eventually this land will begin to take place. You, you could integrate more of this. All I want to just say is, is that gives you a little bit of an idea. A little of the dates, just not much. I don't want to get into all of this here. 
So this is the progression that you have. And you can find more of this. Kevin, don't go there. In 2 Kings 17. Okay. It's going to talk about some of this process with Ephraim. Now it says in verse 9, the head of Ephraim is Samaria and the head of Samaria is the son of Ramalia. If you do not stand firm in your faith, then you will not stand at all. All right. Big words here. Okay. The big words are, look, the, like, are you going to stand with me or not? Are you going to stand with me or not? Because I will tell you this, the process is it was already prophesied Ephraim's going to fall. And look, it did. If you stand firm in your faith, I've got your back. But then it says in verse 10, then the Lord spoke again to Ahaz. Here's what I want you to do. Okay, this is kind of a cool picture in verses 10 through 17. Here you have your promisey, your prophecy number two. And this is in uh, 10 through 17. Uh, and then we can say verses two through nine is that it says, ask a sign from the Lord, your God, from the depths of Sheol to the heights of heaven. In other words, there's no boundary here. I want you to ask the Lord for sign. And I love what Ahaz says. He says, I will not ask. I will not test the Lord. Remember, they're still out there waterways conversation. Who knows where they're at now? He says, I'm not going to test the Lord. It's totally a fake, by the way. Like, it's sort of fake religious. Like, I, how dare I put God to the test? <laughs> he just refused his offer because secretly he had already done an alignment with the Assyrians. He couldn't ask God for help in his mind because he had already reached out to, remember this conversation, trust the Lord or trust the nations. He had already reached out to the nations. He had already aligned himself with Assyria. Secretly, he had already done this. And he knows Man, he has a problem. And in fact, here it is. I'm going to go back just a little bit. Okay, hang in here for a second. There are hard days in Judah. Okay, we've already referenced this. Constable says Assyria was growing stronger. Threatening nations were coming in. Syria and Ephraim, the northern kingdoms, they pressured Judah to have an alliance. Okay, so they're pressuring Ahaz. Ahaz said no. Why? Because he had already made, already made a deal with the enemies outside. The king was truly playing politics and not trusting God. In fact, 2 Kings 16, 5 through 9, this is the major problem. He had already done a deal. 2 Kings 16, 5 through 9, Then Aram's king Rezin and Israel's king Pekah, son of Ramallah, came to wage war against Jerusalem. They besieged Ahaz, but were not able to conquer him. Okay? At that time, Rezin, king of Aram, recovered Elath from Aram, and they expelled the Judahites from Elath. Then the Arameans came to Elath, and they live there until today. So Ahaz sent messengers to Tiglath-Pilassar, king of Assyria, saying, I'm your servant and your son. Here's your alliance. March up and save me from the power of the king of Aram and of the king of Israel, who are rising up against me. Verse 8. Ahaz took also, also took the silver and gold found in the Lord's temple and in the treasures of the king's palace, and he sent them to the king of Assyria as a gift. <laughs> you crazy? So the king of Assyria listened to him, marched up to Damascus, captured it. He deported his people to Kir, but put Rezin to death. So the Assyrian king comes in, gets paid for this deal, helps save Ahaz's rear, and now they have an alliance. That seems to be a problem. Kevin? Yeah, right, right. So when he says, I want you to ask the Lord for a sign, he says, I'm not going to ask for a Lord for a sign. I've already worked the deal. And Isaiah said, listen, house of David, is it not enough for you to try the patience of men? Will you also try the patience of my God? Now, 
I, I do want to make something obvious. Isaiah shifts his message, not just to Ahaz, but all of the house of David. And he says, fine. If this is the game you're going to play, I'm going to give you all better something, something better. And he says in verse 14, therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign. The virgin will conceive, have a son and name him Emmanuel. Whew. So we just made a drastic shift, didn't we, Kevin? We went from Ahaz lying. He's already done an alignment with Assyria. Isaiah says, look, man, I see the games you're playing. These are all little frivolous games. <laughs> There's ultimately something way bigger. It seems like a weird switch, though, doesn't it? It's interesting because the signs, we, because we know like where it is in history, it happens way down the line. And because Ahaz isn't obedient and asking for a sign, he doesn't get to see the sign. That's right. He doesn't at all. So here's the question. If I'm Isaiah releasing this, this word from the Lord, um, like it sure seems like we have these little circles, right? Like you have the current, you have the first coming, and then you have the second coming, Right? Then you have what's talked about captivity. Clearly, this is where they're all headed. In the middle of this, he says, hey, by the way, here's the first coming. But if I am Ahaz, let's just give Ahaz credit just for a second. I would be expecting somebody right now in the current situation, wouldn't you? Like if I may has, okay, great. The sign is, is that God's going to give us a virgin. So I don't want to just say like, this is only, and don't get me in trouble for this. This is not only for like the future. There could be a temporary actual, uh, a fulfillment, not the fulfillment. But I don't, I mean, the reality is Ahaz is so blinded by who he's trusting in. He doesn't even, I don't think he even hears what Isaiah is giving him. I would agree. I totally would agree. All I want to just say is, is that Isaiah has two sons. Okay. There's a thought. I'm not saying this is 100% accurate. I'm just giving you different views about what people do with this. Because clearly he's giving him a word that there's going to be a lady who's a virgin that has a baby. And the baby's going to be a son and the son's going to name is going to be Emmanuel. There's a thought that Isaiah actually then has a second wife that was a virgin. Just relax. Don't get all caught up on this. Okay. And that after his first wife died... Uh, after having Shear, Jashub, right, the remnant, maybe Isaiah had the second son, which we know is Mahir, I'm going to say his name wrong, excuse me, Shalel Kashabash, also the name could have been Emmanuel. Okay, so if you go to Isaiah 8, 1 through 4, okay, Isaiah 8, 1 through 4, just again trying to paint a picture here in this, then the Lord said, take a large piece of parchment and write it on with an ordinary pen, and here's the son's name, Mahir Shalei Ashbaz. Verse 2, I've appointed trustworthy uh, witnesses. That's the son we're talking about. Okay, that's the name that we're talking about. This may be temporarily, okay, that it could be that son. We know ultimately that the fulfillment comes through Yeshua. We know ultimately that it comes through Jesus Christ. I just want to say maybe that lady was a virgin, okay, and in his mind, you have to understand something. Maybe there was a fulfillment in that. Does that make sense? Because his name actually, yeah. Let's leave it at that for right now. I do think this is an interesting picture. So that's the temporary side. But ultimately, you guys, if our one word is Emmanuel, ultimately, we know that there is a foreshadow 
that we're talking about. It says that here he was, he came literally down from heaven into the world. Here we have God taking on human flesh. He was literally sent by the father and therefore he came into the world. You ready for this? Having a human mother, but not a human father. Because he came through the virgin, uh, his, his mother, not through uh, the father. There's so many verses here that we could go to. And let's begin this process of John 4, verse 34, if we can, Kevin. Emmanuel means God with us. We're going to go to John 4, verse 34. It says, my food is to do the will of him who sent me and to finish his work. So here you have the father, right? Sending the son. This is important. John 5, 23 through 24. John 5, 23 through 24. This is the, the, the mentality that you can have. So that all the people will honor the son just as they honor the father. We'll get into more of this in Isaiah 9. They will honor the son just as they honor the father. Anyone who does not honor the son does not honor the father who sent him. So the father sent his son to be born through a virgin here on earth. Okay. And then he says, I assure you, anybody in John 5, 24, who hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life and will not come under judgment, but has passed from death to life. So in the middle of chaos, in the middle of fighting, he says, just trust me. Trust me with the impossible. Trust me that I'm going to get you through this fighting. Trust me that I'm going to provide a son that's actually going to come in and take care of the situation. I'm sending God on earth. In John 3, verse 13, Kevin, if you'd go there. John 3, verse 13. John 3, verse 13, it says, No one has ascended into heaven except the one who descended from heaven, the Son of Man. Over and over you have this imagery of John 6, verse 33, verse 38. Here you have the Father sending His Son that came from heaven here on earth. John 6, verse 33, For the bread of God is the one who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. Verse 38 is in uh, in reference to this as well. For I've come down from heaven not to do my will, but the will of Him who sent me. Here you have Jesus who already existed. In first season, God released His Son to come here on earth to be born to give us hope. Amidst the judgment, he says, trust me. God became human flesh. Crazy enough, when you look at this text, Kevin, this is really interesting. In verse 15, by the time this boy that we're just referencing learns to reject what is bad and choose what is good, he'll be eating butter and honey. <laughs> For before, so this is, why, this is why there's a thought that it's actually a temporary son. A fulfillment, not the fulfillment. Okay. For before the boy knows to reject what is bad and choose what is good, the land of the two kings you dread will be abandoned. Roughly, roughly, maybe by the time the the boy is 12, okay, the two kings of Syria and Ephraim were to meet their doom. Like it's coming. The prophecy is coming. Your kings will be taken care of. And oh, by the way, I'm going to send help. Yeah, this is how I want to close. Warren Wearsby says this. Orthodox Jewish boys became the sons of the law at age 12. This is why I would say at this point, they're able to discern good and bad. Hang on here. This special son was a reminder that Syria and Ephraim would be out of the picture within the next 12 years. Okay, so here's the prophecy. This is why you have to work through the temporary boy stuff, like the age stuff. Because normally when I think of Emmanuel, you guys, I'm thinking right away Jesus. But he needed to see a prophecy that's going to come to fruition even right then and there. So here it is, Syria and Ephraim are going to be out of the picture within the next 12 years. 
And Isaiah actually delivered this prophecy. Again, the language is this in 734 B.C. And in 732 B.C., Assyria defeated uh, Syria. And then in 722, 12 years later, Assyria invaded the northern kingdom. Thus, the prophecy was fulfilled in this temporary language. So even this boy back then could have been a foreshadow of Emmanuel, God with us, when we begin to unfold John 1. When it says he came for his own people, his own people rejected him and his own people. Uh, and then he obviously went to the Gentiles. But here's the part of it. That it was the word that became flesh. Okay, I felt a little bit all over the place here on this one. I think because some of it, maybe it's a little bit more uh, newer, I think, of a perspective for us. We got to understand the context. We're talking about fighting and Lord, show me how am I going to get out of the situation? And that's really what God does. He shows us how do we get out of it here and now and ultimately, eternally, how do we get out of that? All right, guys, that's uh, Isaiah 7. And uh, we'll continue the study tomorrow. Thanks.